Hi there. Before I get the podcast underway properly, the first one for 2024, in fact, so happy new year, belatedly. Uh, This is uh, one of the episodes that wraps up the summer series, but I've already started the crowdfunding campaign for the autumn series because of the way it all dovetails and delays and time and don't worry about the details. All I wanted to say was that the campaign is open. You can go to the 9pmedic.com slash autumn2024, read the blurb, maybe pledge your support. Uh, you have until the 7th of March, so that's three weeks away nearly. Uh, but if you want to get in early, that's good. We're already 14% of the way to target one. That's fabulous. Thank you to those generous people. Uh, if you're new, w- w- listen to the podcast first so you know what you're supporting, okay? Uh, that's it, the 9pmedic.com slash autumn2024. And now um, on with the thing. The following episode of the 9pm Edict contains strong language, artificial intelligence, several suggestions for improving the world, and millipedes. Saturday, the 17th of February, 2024. With so much artificial intelligence in the news, I thought I'd grab as our special guest, Justin Warren, who's a consultant, a freedom of information tragic, a hexagon enthusiast, and creator of the Cyber Rating Labeling Scheme. In this episode, we talk about generative AI. Why is something being generative a good thing uh, in any given circumstance? What exactly does it generate and do we want more of it? We make some timeless observations about the world. Large groups of people are more profoundly stupid than we we allow ourselves to realise, you know, me included. And we even provide lifestyle tips. Don't use a pineapple to brush your teeth. Hello, it's 2024, I'm Stilgarian, and this is the 9pm Artificially Intelligent Millipede Menace with Justin Warren. After days of sunshine, a damaging storm cell swept the state, sparking damaging winds, heavy rain and large hail. There was also havoc on Melbourne's train network and V-line services, with storm damage leaving commuters waiting for buses or trying to find another way home. Uh, We saw gusts of 122 kilometres an hour at Avalon, likely gusts of that magnitude, potentially more, is what resulted in the damage to the transmission lines near Anarchy. Traffic lights on major roads were also on the fritz, leaving emergency services battling bumper-to-bumper traffic as they rushed to a driver in Narry Warren after a branch fell through their sunroof and slammed into them. They were flown to hospital with lower body injuries. Danny Tran, ABC News, Melbourne. Five stars there to Danny Tran for using the phrase on the fritz. That's good Australian usage. And five stars to Justin Warren for joining me from storm-blasted Melbourne. Hello, Justin. Hello. Yes, welcome to the Apocalypse Zone. Did you survive? Oh, well, clearly I have so Mm -hmm. far. Tomorrow is another day, but who knows? It's Melbourne. Weather might change at any moment. I am astounded. The thing that, apart from the traffic lights being on the fritz, 
I am astounded by those huge power transmission towers, which are big pieces of kit, just whomp, crumpled down and in a heap on the floor, like a discarded yeah. child's toy. Well, compared to a, a child's cell, discarded toy, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, compared to to a storm cell, they're tiny. And they're not, there's not a lot of actual stuff in them. They're mostly empty because it's all just scaffolding. But it's true. Yeah, but they're they're not, big. They're not made of straws or ice cream sticks, though. They're made of, you know, steel. Yes, this is the awesome power of Mother Nature. You know, we should uh, be, be careful about that. Um, yeah, we should watch yeah. that. All right, I, look, I have to – look, thank you for joining us uh, in these circumstances. Um, I have to ask you, uh, do you have a smart toothbrush? No, my toothbrush is incredibly stupid, um, as all toothbrushes should be. Because I saw a news report which said that someone had built a botnet out of smart toothbrushes and this this horde of toothbrushes was sending attack traffic at computers across the internet. Yes, well, that'll teach you for not flossing. Um yeah, I saw this article as well. As soon as I saw it, I just went, nah, that smells that smells off. There's something wrong there. Had a quick <laughs> well, scan. They haven't like brushed I, their teeth. Yeah, yeah. I, I went and had a look at the original report site and used the translate function in Firefox that will automatically convert it from another language, which is quite handy. Um, mm. But, yeah, just reading through it, I went, there's, a, there's not a lot of detail here about how exactly this was happening who did it happen to it's like nah this smells like a hypothetical or they've got the wrong end of the stick here somehow and yeah it turns <laughs> out they did. the wrong end of the stick the wrong end of the toothbrush yeah you got the wrong end of the toothbrush. pineapple yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't uh, use a pineapple to brush your teeth correct so it, it's not a thing that actually happened. This uh, was a thing a few years ago when there was this worry that smart fridges would be used to send spam, uh, that you know you could build a botnet out of people's refrigerators and because there was no real screen or other way to see what the refrigerator was thinking, um, yeah. it could be sending spam and you wouldn't know. And, it, again, it was just a thought experiment. Yeah, I mean, that one's a little bit more plausible because some of them do actually have live internet, like Wi-Fi access. Like I know there was a story of some teenager who was cut off by her parents from using her phone and everything else and ended up like texting people from the fridge, which it's, I thought was it's just true. awesome. It, it is true. She was about 14 and she was actually on Twitter yeah. from yeah. her Love refrigerator. And, so cool. and you could see because the client thing when – Twitter was still called Twitter and showed you which Twitter client you were using. It was it actually said she was from a Samsung like, smart refrigerator. <laughs> Twitter for smart fridge, yeah. That's, that's pretty great. Okay, it's uh, future me here. Uh, I have to do a quick fact check. Uh, this story is uh, from four years ago, from 2019. Um, I need to say two things. One, it was an LG refrigerator, not a Samsung uh, but the second thing is, sadly, it's probably not a thing that happened. I've linked to a story from The Guardian uh, saying that basically, yeah, nah, it's probably not a thing. It's a shame. It was a fun story and people were tweeting hashtag free Dorothy because Dorothy uh, was the uh, supposed story name, but nah, 
Nah. Oh well, back to uh, back to the thing. It's that sort of ingenuity that, like, I look at that and what teenagers get up to when they're really motivated, and they are. It's like, yeah, sure. Every time someone tries to like ban sex or like, oh yeah, we need to prevent children from seeing things, like, combine that level of ingenuity with the sex drive of teenagers versus like people who are trying to pass legislation. It's like, yeah, who do you reckon's going to win? Yeah, and and also the the networking ability of teenagers to swap information when they get work out a new technique, and it just spreads like wildfire. As I say, it goes viral, as we are yeah. meant to say these days. But oh, especially if it's stuff that allows them to bypass the author- authoritarian instincts of parents and teachers. Mm. Uh, they've done this since forever. Yeah. Well, you know, great. I, I don't know about you, but certainly I, as a teenager, was. Slightly rebellious. This will come as a great shock to every listener, I'm sure. I I have never done any form of rebellion, whatever, uh, and have never broken any laws, Your Honour. Excellent. Which brings us, of course, to the topic of artificial intelligence, which again will Obviously. never break any laws or whatever. Uh, look, I'll start with the light one first because I have you heard of someone called Taylor Swift? It is difficult not to. <laughs> Correct. Um, she has, of course, been hired by the deep state to rig the superb owl football match uh, for some reason. Anyway, that's a whole <laughs> thing. Um, you just got the superb owl gag, didn't you? Um, I'm a big fan of superb owl. They're they great. Are, they I are thought they nice. were actually a real species until I found out it's the powerful owl. It is the um, powerful owl, yeah. Which is a superb owl. It is. All owls are pretty superb, although apparently they are profoundly stupid. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They look cool and they have this reputation for being wise, but they're really not. not okay. You know, most birds aren't that smart, but, well, corvids are, but other yeah. birds oh, are, yeah. are not. Owls are apparently not one of the sharpest bulbs. <laughs> Which is a shame. Which is obviously why we need artificial intelligence. We do not have – okay, wh- why am I talking about this? It's because be, because Ms Swift is broadly popular hmm. – Um. All sorts of organisations are trying to hook into that popularity to promote their particular thing. And I will not name the company that did this, but they sent a a press release the other day on Valentine's Day uh, to say they were launching Swifty GPT, a generative AI-powered Taylor Swift superfan chatbot. Awesome. They have trawled all of the publicly information, uh, publicly available information about uh, Taylor Swift, put it in a chatbot, and you can chat with this chatbot and gossip about Taylor Swift. Apparently, should should there should there be no Swifties, that is Taylor Swift fans, available at all for you to talk with? Mm. They 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 built an artificial one, and. Uh, They've described it as uh, being enchanted, um, which is good. Enchanted chatbot. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because enchantments are always beneficial and are never done for any sort of evil intent. What I'm interested in is if they have indeed uh, hoovered up all of the publicly available information about Taylor Swift, Hmm. That is going to be called what uh, that is going to that is going to include what I might describe in a family friendly manner as fanfic. 
about Ms. Swift. Maybe. More salacious gossip about Ms. Swift. Well, I noticed that, like, the US government started to take um, non-consensual image generation seriously after people did it to Taylor, to Taylor Swift. Before then, it was like, oh, it just happens to normal, you know, women who yeah, don't count. Women, so, yeah. whereas Taylor Swift is a, a rich and powerful woman, and they're different. Um, so, you know, I imagine that it will be a similar sort of circumstance to that. Maybe they were smart enough to avoid that sort of thing, but I doubt it. Not if they've thrown something together very quickly to cash in on the fact that Taylor Swift yeah. is is got concerts it, on in Australia. It does remind me a lot of that company that like rebranded itself as blockchain or something because that was all the all the rage. I believe the SEC has finally taken them to court now for fraud. That's right. They had nothing mm. to do with blockchain. They just changed their no, name no, to blockchain. Just changed the name. Well, we see that here locally as well, or like in in other things. You, if the stock ticker re- vaguely resembles the, a, a company which is in the news as doing something, happened in the pandemic or something, people just start buying the stock because they think it's this other company. They get, like it happened to some penny stock in Australia, which is not like it was Zoom or something was doing well in the US, and there was someone who had a similar code here, and people bought a bunch of it. I forget which one it was. Happens quite regularly. Happens the other way around too, where some companies mm. in the news with a massive product recall, and any company in the same industry or with a vaguely similar name, suddenly their stock price goes through the floor for no actual reason. People well, I are, think the, the market um, solves was, everything clearly. Oh, it's it's clearly a very rational and uh, an entire the, the best the best description <laughs> I've had of the stock market is that it's a rich people mood ring. Oh. Um, so it just tells you, how are the rich people feeling today? Are they happy? So if the line goes up, when the line is happy, it goes up. And when the line goes down, it is sad. Putting aside Taylor Swift, mm. the Australian government has, of course, uh, been doing a lot of work recently on trying to do ethical AI and, and making some rules, and they have a task force even, which Excellent. has some good people on it. They announced, well, it it's does. not a task force. It's an advisory committee, and mm. I will link Dear listener, as always, to everything we talk about, well, maybe not everything we talk about today because we're going to talk quite some bullshit, I suspect. Uh, <laughs> but but I will listen. It's quite a – I won't listen to all, but it's uh, an ad, a working party or an advisory group to the Minister Ed Husich, Minister for Industry and Science, uh, about AI and getting some rules in it. And it does have some very good people on it, including friend of the pod, Toby Walsh, Professor Toby Walsh, who heads up the AI Institute at the University of New South Wales mm. and is suitably sceptical about the technology he develops. Um, and, and, and and ethicists and Nick Suzor, who's a lawyer who works in digital rights. Well, he's part of the Facebook Oversight Board, if I, if I recall correctly. And they're uh, going well. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's down to him, though. Oh, it's a group of people. Yeah, well, that means no one is responsible. That's a good thing about having a group of people. Yes, that's right. Committees are excellent. You can take mm. a very, very long time and it's no one's fault. Okay, more seriously, let's let's look at the Australian government's attempt. What's going on? What's going on? Oh, look, um, I mean, globally, everyone is just losing their minds over this whole Gen AI thing because it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's popular. It's it's a bit of a fad. It happens from time to time. You know, people got mm. really excited about tulip bulbs and you know, they get excited about, you know, Taylor Swift, the Super Bowl, 
whatever is currently happening in the news. You know, mm. when when a couple of deer or animals escape from the zoo, that's always fun. Um, but this one is it it has broader societal potential, um, which is well, yeah. Blockchain was kind of interesting in that it had the it has the same hype thing, but it didn't really go broad because when you tried to use it for anything, it was really obviously broken. Mm. So it it became quite obvious quite quickly to everybody around you that this is not working. Whereas AI stuff can be not actually working in subtle and kind of hidden ways. So people, and we see this all the time where people go, oh, it's actually sentient. It's like, no, 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 that's just you using the same part of your human brain that thinks that faces in clouds are faces. It's like, no, they're just clouds. You just think they look like faces. So a lot of what AI stuff, particularly the generative stuff does, is it's it sounds plausibly human-ish, kind of, enough for, but that's us doing it. That's not the machine. It's just generating some statistically relevant words. And then the humans reading it are putting the meaning into it. And we've seen you know, so many examples of, of AI-generated imagery that, that are at a local level they make sense. You know, there's, there's, there's fingers are joined onto a hand, a hand is joined to an arm, and the arm attaches to a body at some point. But slightly oh, yeah. larger scale things are, yeah, but how many fingers? Yeah, um, and that's the thing. The thing that makes sense, like the sense-making is done by us, by us as humans. So it's like years ago, and and indeed recently, but years ago, there's a thing called AI weirdness by Janelle Shane, I think it was, um, and she was using back then slightly different forms of these AI systems, you know, neural networks, to train them on a whole bunch of text and then generate things like recipe names. Mm. And it came up with some of my favourites, like Beezy Mist uh, and Chocolate 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 Cake, because you know. Humans obviously <laughs> like chocolate a lot. Chocolate comes up a lot in recipes. Like, what could be better than chocolate cake? More chocolate. And if I remember correctly, it actually generated the recipes themselves. Often, not just the yes. names. Yeah, and they were like it. They were recipe-ish, and they were funny because they were close but a bit wrong. And that's what mm. humans find funny. You know, don't want to explain humor too much, but a lot of it is surprise. Like you defy expectations a bit. You set up things that it's going to go in a particular way, and then you put it, take it in a slightly surprising direction. We respond to that by thinking it's funny. So a lot of these images and things, some of them are funny, some of them are just disturbing. Some people find disturbing things funny. So it's, but that's the humans doing it. It's not the machinery, like it doesn't understand humour. They don't understand. They're dumb rocks. They they just do maths, sort of, because we pump electricity through them. Mm. The sense-making and, and all of the the meaning of it, that's all done by humans. Computers have no lived experience of what it is to be a human and they don't they don't think. They're not entities. We we humans love to anthropomorphize other things. We had pet rocks. Yeah. <laughs> well, you might have. Some of us still do. What you're saying, therefore, is that when we talk about ethical AI, we're really talking about creating ethical humans who understand the limitations of the tool that, that's now in their hand, whether it be AI or whether it be a hammer. You know, we, we don't have classes in ethical hammer use. We, we're already... Well, we call them something else. Yeah, ethical systems is probably a better way of doing it. 
And like that's basically what the law is and like society. It's a way of organising in this society what do we allow and not allow and how do we decide whether this thing is or is not allowed. Um, Hammer, nail, good. Panel beating a car, good. Hammer, puppy, bad. Yeah. Exactly. Um, So there there was something I saw recently, like it's been done around moderation, which is quite fraught, but someone did a... moderation of social media and things, yes. Uh, Yes, I should say, a very specific meaning of the word moderation. Uh, Yes. Censorship is another word for it, or editing. All things in moderation, including moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a thing recently tr- trying to explain the difficulties of of nuance and and like when do you decide where to draw the line? And mm-hmm. I'll I'll see if I can find the link for you and send it through. But it was it's a an old thought experiment um, about basically vehicles are not allowed in the park. Right. That is the policy that we have. So now mm-hmm. you get to decide right what is a park, what is in. And what is a vehicle? And it goes through a bunch of scenarios. So, like, someone riding a, uh, riding a skateboard in the park, have they violated the rule or not? And the, the, the clear question that they were after in this is, you need to answer, does this violate the rule or not? Not whether the violation should be allowed as an exception. Uh-huh. And the, the goal for this is to, so, you know, examples like you're walking in the park, you are a person walking in the park, mm-hmm. allowed or not. Uh, right. Someone drives their jet ski up to a beach, which happens to be in the park. Is that allowed? Here's another um, one. And, uh, person walking in the park, fine. Person in a wheelchair in the park. Is yes, a wheelchair. Person wheeling their wheelchair in the park. And, uh, you know, person wheeling their wheelchair or person manoeuvring their electrically powered wheelchair through the park. Um, Shopping trolley. Someone has too. been injured in the park and an ambulance is driven into the park um, to to deal with that. Mm. Um, so it's it's an interesting one because it, it just sort of highlights, okay, where do you draw the line? And where do – this one in particular tells you how did you rank things compared to what everyone else is doing? So how much in agreement with everyone else's idea of what is and isn't allowed is have you, have you done? Because it's a consensus type thing. So it – where do we draw this line together? We see that a lot in social media at the moment, uh, given that the entire you know, social media industry is fragmenting into uh, complete chaos and disarray with, mm. therefore, lots of people who like making rules want to make new rules in the new places and having often extremely strong feelings about what the rules should be. And you, you take a, a rule such as there should be no threats of violence, okay? On mm. the surface, that's fine. I, I saw someone uh, banned from one of the platforms the other day because they suggested that if certain people continue certain behaviour, then they should be put into the apparatus. <laughs> <laughs> now... The nature of the apparatus, totally unspecified. Obviously, as humans, you laugh, I laugh and go, sure. Yeah, I mean, I would say something like, well, look, if Dave continues to give everyone gifts, then clearly he must be placed into the field of adorable kittens as a reward. Right, right. The person has continued the behaviour, so now he must be placed in the apparatus. It's like, yes. (laughs) 
this person continues to do good works in the community, so they must be placed into the ceremony to get an Order of Australia. Mm. There is a strong sense to me that some people, and certainly the machines, do not understand irony, do not understand hyperbole, mm. do do not have a, a clear idea of what actually counts as a threat as opposed mm. to a warning, as opposed to a chastisement. And they've well, they've not really played D&D or something, like where you've got a Dungeons malicious and dungeon master. For the, for the two, two people listening to this who don't, know what, who don't know what D&D is. is. Yeah. <laughs> it has broad enough awareness. Like, yeah. so it's like if, you're play, if you play Dungeons and Dragons or any of these role-playing games and you have a particularly malicious-minded dungeon master, like Wish was a spell that was always of... It was always a dangerous one because it was like you can have whatever you want. You make a wish. Uh, you know, there's old tales about this. You know, genie and your three wishes. It's like, yep. okay, I wish for, I wish I had a million dollars, and the dungeon master might go, sure, a million dollars in gold immediately appears above your head and crushes you to death. Sure, it the the unintended consequences moral story there is one of the oldest. Things there is right. But it's also, one of the oldest folk in, tales. Yeah. How do you interpret things? And could this be interpreted maliciously by so, an, another party who wishes you harm? Which is like, when you're making these rules, you need to be careful, um, or you should be. Which many of our lawmakers don't do this very well either. Are we more likely these days to have a bit of a sook about someone's use of language simply because we can. Mm, um, that is, we, uh, we, there we go, who is we? Yeah. There, there does seem to be a certain kind of person, and perhaps there's always been this kind of person because people are people, who seek out ways of of being offended by things that that. Quite often, uh, none of their fucking business to start off with. Or so you know, yeah. just really like I, put put I Dave suggest, in the apparatus. Yeah, um, I would suggest that these people have always been among us, um, mm-hmm. and I would, in fact, some of us are that person. In like, we, we may not always be that person, but sometimes we all do that a bit. Yeah, and and we will deny it because we're making sensible. Decisions. Oh, clearly, everything I do is sensible. You are a a, a an, un, an uninformed heathen. Yes, mm. um, it's a was it's one of those irregular um, nouns. It's an irregular <laughs> verb. Yeah. So, I think that's always been around. But what's changed is the visibility. Like you've always had weird cranks who would write letters to the editor, and not all of them get published. Whereas now, there's not as much mediation between people in large groups, like you could have a whinge to your friends mm. down the pub. You could stand on a soapbox on the corner of the street and harangue passers-by, but you couldn't harangue passers-by in another town. Now, or though, at, or where at you've scale, got, yeah. Yeah, it's the, the reach that you can have as an individual broadcasting your every thought and feeling to the entire globe Means that you you're more likely to see this kind of stuff, which is, I mean, some of that's possibly not so great. But then the benefits are also there in that people who are otherwise isolated can actually find their people. Oh, well, that's also good or bad. Sometimes they were oppressed minorities. Sometimes they're Nazis. Um, maybe we don't want Nazis to be able to globally organise quite so easily. 
Ex- exactly. Um, you know, I am a fan of techno music based on Gregorian chant, and I can connect with all of my my fellow musicians around the world, wherever they may be. Or mm. I am concerned about the millipede menace, and I can <laughs> connect with with like minded individuals and put up posters in my shop. I I mention that because when I was a producer at ABC Radio back in the 1980s, this would have been, um, mm. in the second half of the 1980s. Back um, in the late 1900s, yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, God, I hate that. Um, <laughs> you know, one one did get letters back in those days. Email hadn't really kicked off, so people would write you letters. Mm. And uh, one of them came from a chap who... Uh, during that period, millipedes had started uh, appearing in Adelaide in much greater numbers than they had in the past. It had to do mm. with this, the the decline of birds that would eat millipedes and blah 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 and a whole lot of things. But and the eastern millipedes feed off the chemtrails, so yeah, yeah. Well, we weren't quite up to that yet. I mean, this is this is old school. Um, so so the eastern suburbs of Adelaide at certain times of summer would suddenly get like lot lots of millipedes. Some people would come out on to, into their backyard and. The patio would be covered in millipedes. It was quite alarming. Anyway, this this chap uh, had had done experiments. He said, and you know, he had all sorts of ways that you know, if you arranged saucers full of beer in a particular spot, it would kill all the millipedes and this, that, and the other. And he no. was writing to the Department of Agriculture, who were ignoring him and suppressing his knowledge. Now, in fact, <laughs> they had they had. Taken yep. him quite. They they tried it themselves and found out it it was bullshit. You know, whatever right. this guy is doing, we could not replicate his experiments against mm. the millipedes. So he wrote to the ABC, and for whatever reason, I got that letter, and it was handwritten, obviously in various uh, uh, selections of green and purple um, ballpoint pen, writing right. all the way to the edge of the pages. That's uh, not not letters cut out in a magazine. No, 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 no! It wasn't a death no. threat. Oh. No, no, no. Um, that just as an aside, that's one of the things to look out for, and you'll see that with the, the cookers and the anti-vaxxers today. There, there is a need to fill the entire space. Mm. You know, no margins or whatever. It's every every corner of it is filled with facts and and well, facts yeah. in scare quotes, whatever. And that's 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 apparently a, a known thing. That that mm. is for whatever reason that's something that people with this mindset do. Anyway, he wrote us this long letter, and at the bottom, I love it. It it was just actually he left a half page clear and wrote in capitals in purple ink, "The millipede menace must be stopped!" Exclamation marks <laughs> plural. And <laughs> it was delightful, like and yeah. it is it is. To my great shame that I did not get a photograph or colour photocopiers weren't a thing then and whatever, mm, and I have unless. no record of it. But it was magnificent. But today this this chap would have been able to connect with his peers and and complain that the South Australian Department of Agriculture, for reasons known only to itself, was mm. suppressing knowledge of ways of stopping the millipede menace. Yeah, and I have seen some interesting theory by a friend on the intertubes um, that 
Like we used to get a lot more of these weird and sort of slight, relatively harmless conspiracy theories that people would have. There were heaps of them. Like people were into Bigfoot and, you know, UFO sightings and all this sort of stuff. And there's been a kind of context collapse or a just, I don't know, a merging of all of them. So they all, instead of having their own weird little like small crank ideas about millipedes, that gets folded into a larger conspiracy that then actually grows in size and scale. So you get things like QAnon or, mm. um, you know, and then those people, it, it gets, in some way there are certain people who will use that to their own, for their own advantages because now you have a mob and if you can manage to get enough mob and then point them in a direction, um, and this is mob in the, the classic sense, not in the more Australian sense, um, is to and then you you point them at say a capital building um, on a particular date in January and maybe you can get something slightly more concrete and political to happen. Well, I was about to say there there are theories that yes forces are shaping those uh, groups and putting them together to get the numbers. We we've seen it in Australia where um, the the anti trans groups you know, have some neo-Nazis attached to them um, mm. and and those are, are all joining up. And and there is a school of thought which says that our friends in St Petersburg are just sometimes help, helping all this along because uh, the Russians and their disinformatia, I love that the Russians invented disinformation as a yeah. word and, and are the masters of it, is just, just chaos, just uh, the whole driving forces not towards any particular aim except if you if you just get rid of the idea of absolute truth and people don't trust anything then hmm. it helps it can be very useful for someone to come in as a strong man and and say i am the only source of truth and you should believe only me hmm. yeah and i mean that's that's not a new idea just technology but this is the thing about technology. The people who want to do that and politicians or people who seek and, and want to hold on to power will use technology, whatever it might be. It could be written, you know, writing. It can be the telegraph, the telephone, social media. They will use it to further those ends. They will find a way to use it to do that. What I still believe about the 2016 American presidential election is that Sure, we know that Russian disinformation operations were trying to to cause mischief in that. I'll, mm. I'll say that broadly. And I can imagine with the Russian sense of humour, because I had a Russian friend at university and I got inside his mind a bit too much. Mm. Vodka may have been involved. Um, but I can imagine... Um, a couple of Russian disinformation operatives sitting there in, in St. Petersburg thinking, who shall we make president of the United States? I've got an idea. What if we find the dumbest person we can and try and make him president of the United States? I'll bet you a 1,000 rubles mm. <laughs> that we I, can make it happen. It makes a good movie plot. Um, I don't know. I I have a slightly less... I don't know, slightly more cynical view of human nature, I think. Um, I don't think we're more that More cynical than a couple of Russians having a wager over who they can make oh, president yeah. I reckon the they States. probably just watched it happening as like, we don't even have to do anything, you know, uh, Piotr. 
we we can just sit here and and watch the Americans do this to themselves and like, take credit for it and take credit for it. Yeah, I and think get promotions. <laughs> I think like large groups of people are more profoundly stupid than we than we allow ourselves to realize. You know, me included. So I- sure, and I am reminded then um, there is a book simply called KGB, which is a history of the KGB by mm. Oleg Gordievsky, um, and Oleg Gordievsky. Um, is in the interesting position is that uh, at the same time he was head of the KGB's London station, he was a double agent for MI6. Mm. And he relates uh, in an interview later, I think he's uh, I think he's now dead, uh, he related in an interview that he found it terribly amusing that when Mikhail and uh, Raisha Gorbachev visited London that when he was giving them their briefing, that he 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 as an MI6 operative was briefing the Russian leader, <laughs> the Soviet leader on English things. Anyway, the book KGB by Oleg Gordievsky, fantastic. In it, he relates that the idea that HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, was the result of an American experiment in Africa to infect people and whatever, was KGB disinformation. Hmm. He points out the Indian newspaper, which they first managed to get someone to run this story in a newspaper in India, and then it spread a bit. And then as medical scientists learned more about HIV, it became pretty fucking clear that that was bullshit. So Hmm. the KGB stopped that operation and yet by then it had taken on a life of its own amongst mm. the conspira- conspiratorati in the United States and they were just amused to see this continually coming up later long after yep. they they abandoned this disinformation so um that's oh that's really quite a long story uh we are long overdue for a break to do the housekeeping. Back with you in a moment, Justin. Well, so many things to clarify here for starters. Uh, One is uh, that KGB operation about HIV AIDS was actually, there's actually a Wikipedia page about it. It was called Operation Denver, sometimes referred to as Operation Infection with a K. I won't go into the details. It was a real thing. Uh, Other conspiracy theories, the Taylor Swift, Joe Biden, Super Bowl, Superb Owl thing. A poll came out this week. Nearly one in five Americans believe that Taylor Swift was performing at the Super Bowl as part of a Joe Biden presidential campaign operation, one in five. Uh, And the uh, Taylor Swift uh, chatbot, Swifty GPT, I I was looking up uh, how to link to that. As you know, I link to all the things we talk about uh, on the podcast. And that actually came out months ago. But the people who built it, every time there's a Taylor Swift-related thing, like her birthday or the album comes out, or now she's touring Australia, they re-announce it as if it's a new thing. And I got caught 
it's my fault for not being totally up to date on the the state of the art of Taylor Swift fan chatbots. Uh, and AIWeirdness.com, Janelle Shane, she's still uh, publishing AI weirdnesses. Worth having a look. I have actually linked to uh, some of the recipes that we we talked about, and I'm going to read you uh, one now. This is uh, this is for grilled snailsed butter. Snailsed is a thing. Uh, it's a verb, I suppose. You will need a crock pot, vegetables, a crock pot, rubbing holiday, and meats. And specifically, you'll need two pounds of shrimp cut into half-inch cubes, six cloves minced, two teaspoons of apple juice, a quarter of a cup of mushrooms, a pound of tomatoes, nuts, plastic, one strawberries, two each pinto beans sliced, one plum tomato, brackets no carry fater, whatever that is, a package of unknown yogurt fillets thawed. Oh, that's all the ingredients. Now the method. Pour noodles and cauliflower through a wider measure, just on high speed, until stiff. Flavour radicchio mixture with the wine and continue simmering until mixture is desired doneness. Reserve side of bowl mixture. Chill until circle is reamy incricating. Serve on ranged removable pieces. I like the idea of doing something until the desired doneness. Um, yeah, AI has improved. That one was, I think, from 2016. So things have improved a bit in recent years. Okay, that's all the updates of things we spoke about. I, I want to quickly thank you for looking up the podcast. I don't know whether I've mentioned this before, but in the Great Australian Pods podcast directory, uh, they they rank the, the most clicked through podcasts of 2023 and the 9pm edict, this podcast, rated number 95. Uh, that doesn't mean listenership figures, and I don't think we rate anywhere near that, but we were the 95th most looked at podcast entry in that uh, directory. So thank you for that. Now, this is the summer series coming to an end. We've got a couple of more episodes to go. The next episode uh, will actually be recorded very, very soon. I'm recording with Snarky Platypus uh, on Saturday the 17th. We're going to be talking about the ABC series Nemesis, about the most recent three coalition prime ministers, or Liberal Party prime ministers, in fact. Uh, if you have some thoughts on that, it may be too late by the time you listen to that. We'll need them by uh, midday Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday the 17th of February. Uh, but... I just thought I'd let you know that's happening. That podcast will appear on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, and then one of those that will wrap up the summer series will include special guest Professor Johanna Weaver. She heads up the Tech Policy Design Centre at ANU. She also used to be Australia's negotiate, well, cyber negotiator, I call her, uh, or called her at the time, at the United Nations. She really knows about international cyber issues. 
fun to talk to. I'm looking forward to that. We're having trouble getting our schedules to line up, so I'll be honest and say that episode may not appear until early March, which is technically no longer the summer series, but I'm, I'm sure you'll cope. And there'll be one other episode in uh, before the end of February, still waiting to uh, lock in the guest for that. Now, this podcast is made possible by you, the generous listener, and I need to tell you today that I've already started the crowdfunding for an autumn series. That's the 9pm autumn series 2024 crowdfunding campaign. We're a couple of days in where, as these words come out of my mouth on Friday afternoon, we're 14% of the way to target one, which is fantastic. Uh, If you're a regular listener, you'll know the drill. If you're new, basically click through to the 9pmedic.com slash autumn2024. That's the 9pmedic.com slash autumn2024. Have a read. If you enjoy the podcast, maybe consider pledging your support. If you missed that deadline, if you list, uh, we've got until the 7th of March. If you missed that deadline, you, you can always go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip and chuck some money in there. To be honest, that's actually better because it arrives more quickly and the fees are lower. But for the crowdfunding campaign, that's that's a bit of fun, isn't it? The 9pmedic.com slash autumn 2024. Please consider. I know what's going to happen now. Right, Justin. Time. Oh, they're still in their plastic bag from when they were translated. I am now opening a Ziploc bag. <laughs> I'm putting the contents in a jar. <laughs> Said the actress <laughs> to the bishop. Right. And I'm shaking the jar because it's trigger word time. As regular listeners to the pod will know, this is the glass jar of transparency containing folded up pieces of paper, each one holds a word sent in by a supporter in the hope that it will trigger a conversation, but Justin 2 have been sent in specifically for you, so we'll deal with them first. Oh, dear. The first one... I good my loins. Well, you should, mm. because the first one is from friend of the pod, Trent Yarwood. Ah, yes. Well, I should now, rub some antibiotics on my loins. <laughs> I won't ask what you've been doing. Now, he's given us a choice of two, and we're only going to use one, and I I would like you to choose A or B. Ooh, B. Humidity. 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 Yeah. Yes, I'm not a fan of, well, and and fans are useful when there is humidity. Yeah, I'm not mm, being on particularly humidity. if you need to rub antibiotics on your loins. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's another thing. Yes, <laughs> humidity, yes. I yeah. have been to the tropics. I used to live in North Queensland. Um, oh, did and, you? Which is where yeah, Trent Yarwood long, lives now. Long, long time ago, I was a little bit further south than him. I was just slightly inland from Mackay, mm. a mining town called Moran Bar, um, coal mining town. Um, yes, Dr. Trent lives in Cairns, which is way too humid for me. Um, I think we are in peak humidity period at the moment. He has mentioned previously <sighs> never come to Cairns in February. Um, I, 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 think I the, echo the, that sentiment. Do, do floods count as peak humidity? Uh, look, Tropical uh, the, cyclones and a metre of rain in one day? Yes. That's well, fairly when we humid. Had the, um, when we had the weather the other day in, in Melbourne, as, you, as we spoke about at the beginning, um, I was looking at the, the bomb app on my phone and it was – 
saying that somewhere somewhere around 2 a.m. the humidity was going to be 100%, which mm. I would have thought that that basically means you're in the bath or a flood is occurring. Is that well, apparently not? No, well, it means the air holds as much humidity, as much water as it can. So here I am in the Blue Mountains uh, and it's an extremely overcast day with uh, a low cloud base. I happen to be sitting at an altitude of 850 metres and currently uh, the humidity is 99% because when I look out the window, we are currently inside a cloud. Oh, and okay. clouds clouds by definition uh, are wet. Wet. Mm. Humidity. Yeah. Yes. So I assume that means that there was cloud on the ground at two a.m., which would have been difficult to see because it was dark. Um, or at least, know. well, oh, see, here's the thing: because the water droplets come out, can it just be saturated air, but not forming the kind of droplets that's a cloud? We're I should get a meteorologist an, on. Yeah, we're getting. I was just saying we're getting into an area that I am not qualified to talk about. Mm. Um. But, yes, I personally am not a big fan of humidity. Um, mm -hmm. Cold hair can't hold moisture, so I, I enjoy being in a more subtropical area that, or Mediterranean, I think we used to be down here in Victoria, um, where it doesn't actually get that humid You need to be often. more in South Australia if you want the, the Mediterranean-style climate. Yes, I guess. It has sort of been described as a bit Mediterranean-ish down here in Melbourne. But, um, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> At least really between enjoy... 3 and 5 p.m. on Wednesdays. <laughs> yes, yes, briefly. It's it's quite good. But, yeah, I, I prefer – even Sydney I find a bit too humid these days. I'm, I'm much more used to the, the drier, um, cooler weather. So, uh, yeah, not not I, – I can deal with a brief visit to the tropics, but uh, it is not for me and my particular lifestyle. No, no, I, I, I tend to agree. Uh, I should mention that uh, for those of you outside Australia – um, the state of Victoria, of which uh, the city of Melbourne is the capital, uh, did actually have four seasons in one day as an official slogan for a period. Mm. Uh, unofficial slogan, I mean. Yes. Well, I don't know about a song about it. It's a line in a song by, is it Crowded House? Oh, I don't know. Right. It's I, by New I, Zealanders, which is like most of the most famous Australian things, we stole it from New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, Crowded House, such a shit band. <laughs> Vastly overrated. Oh, the Finn brothers will be after you. Oh, fuck them. <laughs> you know, I, I just, it's just droning. The New Zealanders will sickle their sheep on you. Yeah, I'm up for that. <laughs> Thank you, Trent Yarwood, for humidity. And as I uh, forewarned, I did actually even write it down on a piece of paper. There is a second one sent in just for you. Mm. From Jody M, another Melbourne person, friend of the pod. Hi, Jody. Generator is the word. Generator. Mm. Yes. Um. Hmm. Well, we have a few here. Four of them shut down because they run on coal, um, mm -hmm. which creates energy. Um. I don't know. Generator is it's it's a thing that creates new <laughs> stuff. I guess kind of. And we have more than just electricity generators. We have. Um, Image they're, they're, generators. We have yeah, generative AI things. generative things. Yeah, they, I mean they sort of loins are generative. In a in a abstract sense, they're kind of interesting. I guess we, I mean they they have them in programming languages as well. You have things like called generators, I think, which collect items together and then you pull them out one at a time. Um, they're a useful concept. So I mean they have, they're broadly applicable, but I think we need to be 
cautious of where we use them, like any technology. Like why why is being something being generative a good thing uh, in any given circumstance? Um, what exactly does it generate and do we want more of it? The thing that really hit me about this the other day is that now the major search platforms are using a generative AI approach as part of the answer the question thing and we spoke on this pod a few weeks back with, uh, again, Professor Toby Walsh about how there is no country in Africa starting with a K. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and all yes, of that. There, I mean, there is one, but it's it's spelled no, it, with, it a, sound, with it's, a K, which sounds like a K, but is actually a K. Yeah. Beautiful work. Yes. Listen to that one. I'll link to the again to the story about that. But search results like that, excellent information, Use about a mm. hundred times, or maybe it's only fifty times, but the electricity of just a, a kind of quote traditional unquote internet yeah. search, and that's that's one of the things that I find deeply weird about the whole generative AI thing. Is like, well, it's creating new stuff. It's like, do we need more more stuff though? Like, I mean, one of the principles of engineering I was taught was that a thing is finished not when there's nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. We don't really need more regenerators so much as we need some more reducers. And that's mm. like, that's what search is. Is like there's a near infinite amount of information out there in the world, more every day. There's all mm. of this stuff. It's like, yeah, but I don't want all of it and I don't actually want more. I want less. I want something quite specific. I, I want you to take away all of the stuff I don't want. Yeah, like, like what country in Africa starts with a K? So let's yeah. get rid take of away Somalia, all the other countries that don't take start away Chad. with K. Yeah. yeah, most of and that's that's the thing about the difference between like raw data and actual knowledge or information or indeed like wisdom. That's all a process of reducing. That seems to be something which has kind of been missed with all of this galumphing towards building new stuff. I, there was an article I read just the other day about, you know, we, we have too much software. There's an old plea from, I think, 1998 by Nicholas Vert. 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 Yes. Vert. That's correct. Correct, correct pronunciation. Um, <laughs> it's spelled W-I-R-T-H, but it's pronounced yes. Vert. He developed Vert. the Pascal programming languages, which many people of our vintage, well, we're slightly different vintages, but... I'll have to look up the no. year, but it was uh, a, a plea for lean software. Like that's 30 years old now at, oh, at least. Oh, I think. And this was a reprise of that. So it's, yeah, we, we don't need more stuff really. What we kind of want is less. There are advantages to abstractions and building on top of what came before, sure. But I, I'm way more interested in things that help me do less, like that, that remove stuff. Like I don't want a code generator, I want a code remover. I want a thing that will go and say, you know what, most of this is redundant, get rid of it, delete all of this stuff and help me to just get rid of all of this stuff that's unnecessary. Focus my energies on the things that are, are good. And things. And like some of the, like it, it, this is an assistant that will help you do that. It's like, yeah, but does it? Like most mm. of our lives these days seems to be filled with work that we don't really want to do. It's like why... You know, oh, machinery and labour-saving devices, that was always the promise. The washing machine should have freed up a whole bunch of time and we shouldn't actually be doing any work anymore. Why aren't we lazing around for 37 hours a week doing whatever we want 
and spending three hours moving numbers around in a spreadsheet. Why is it the other way around? Because we're not billionaires. Right. So what we actually need then is a is a machine that will remove billionaires. Pretty sure they already had one of them somewhere around, I think it was French. Ah. ah. I can't remember what it was called, though. Um, the, the croissant. Trebuchet, I think. Trebuchet, yeah. The old flingy boy. Mm. Mm. I don't know. It was probably named after a woman. Was it? That's why we don't know what it is because, <laughs> you know, anything created by women gets ignored by history. He said with his tongue firmly in his cheek, yes, I know what it is. This is called comedy. Casey Newton has a uh, a newsletter called Platformer, which covers all this, and he noted uh, a few months back that with so much of the internet now, or so much of the web now consisting mm. of AI-generated blurg, that if that is being sucked in to be the training set, then the ingestion of mad cow disease is already happening. Yep. Yeah, it's already happened. Um, so that's good. What could possibly go wrong? Mm. It does make, you know, I, sometimes I have accelerationist tendencies where it's like, look, it would be nice if we could slow this down and stop it from harming people. But then other times it's like, you know what? Let it burn. Not my yeah. circus, not my monkeys. And maybe this will just, you know, it'll kill itself quickly enough and we'll be able to move on. Leave it up to the cockroaches. Or the bees. I like bees. Yeah, bees are in a bit of strife at the moment, though. They are. Still like them, though. Let's pull one from the jar. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. This follows on nicely from great friend of the pod and very generous supporter, Peter Leverdink. Hi, Peter. His word is panic. Panic. Well, yes, panic now and avoid the rush. Or... Take a hitchhiker's approach and don't panic. That's, again, for the two two people listening to this podcast who don't know the reference, that's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Hmm. I was reminded of of some interesting research about panic um, recently, and it's come up a few times in my readings and travels in the last year, Mm -hmm. that people don't panic much. Like, it's quite rare. When there's a, I mean, we had a big, storm and and things were not so great as we said at the top of the program um people help each other out when there's a, a disaster yeah. of some sort they largely band together and and help each other um except for one group and that group is the elites who who run who nominally run everything they're the ones who tend to panic and that's why we get this uh this tendency from them to withhold information because they're they're desperately frightened that if they tell us what's really going on, that we'll all panic and society will break down. Despite, like, this just does not happen. Like, you tell people that, no, it's re- it's serious and real and, like, there's an actual thing going on and people go, oh, well, I better go next door and, and check, you know, Mrs. Mabel and, and see that she's all right. And and people generally look after each other. Most mm. most people do. There's the, the odd psychopath. But... You know, the people, unfortunately, the largest collection of sociopaths tends to be right at the top where they've been able to amass power over other people. And they're terribly worried that if they reveal that things aren't as perfect as they'd like to make out, unless it's the other side, in which case it's, it's everything's terrible, that we'll, mm. we'll see behind the curtain and realise there's not 
actually really much there. Well, people might notice that the people who are allegedly in charge actually aren't and mm. kind of aren't really doing anything. Or like when things are all going well, it's really easy to sit at the top because it's a pretty cushy job, don't have to do much. But when things are actually quite difficult, that's when you get tested and have to be shown to be good at what you're doing. And most of them aren't. And they're desperately afraid that people will discover that and because then they might decide that, you know what, you're crap at this and we think that you should go now because people who are incompetent shouldn't be able to hang on to their power. Novel idea, I know. And if the millipedes are in charge, well, why don't we just let them get on with it? Sure, why not? I mean, as long as they leave us alone, it's like, why not? Okay, great. Millipedes run stuff now. And I, for one, welcome our new millipede overlords and <laughs> wish to remind them that I could toil for them in their underground sugar caves. Don't say millipedes eat sugar. I don't know what millipedes eat. Hopefully not other millipedes, but um, I don't know. I assume plants. Millipedes. Something smaller than a millipede, I would hope. Well, that would make it a lot easier. See also cartoonist B. Claban's book, Never Eat Anything Bigger Than Your Head. Diet. They're detritivores. They eat decomposing vegetation, feces or organic matter mixed with soil. They play. They often play important roles in the breakdown and decomposition of plant litter um, and estimates of the consumption rates for individual species range from 1% to 11% of all leaf litter, depending on the region. Uh, right. And collectively... So as long as I don't put mulch inside the house, then probably fine. Well, if you were in Sydney, you couldn't put mulch inside the house because, as we've discovered in Sydney, it's all full of asbestos. I don't know well, whether you that... You probably have that already inside your house is more the problem and getting it out <laughs> is, is quite challenging. Yes, yeah, if, if you just some... leave it where it is, it's fine. Yes, I have had some, you know, in, in being a homeowner myself, I have had, it's quite an old house, um, I have had a look at some bits and pieces and just thought, mm, pretty sure that's not asbestos, hope not. Yeah, uh, for those of you uh, not in Sydney, the, the Mardi Gras Fair Day, uh, which was due to happen this Sunday, has been uh, cancelled because mulch in Victoria Park, where it's to be held with 70,000 people visiting through the course of the day. Uh, yes, there is asbestos in the mulch, and asbestos has been found in mulch in quite a number of large parks across the Sydney metropolitan area. So one suspects, well, I suspect, that someone has been disposing of asbestos with the wonderful idea of what if we just mix it up with all this mulch going out and then the whole problem will just go away. It goes away, yes. It does just go away, yes. Uh, yeah, it's surprising if you just mix a whole bunch of stuff that probably shouldn't be in there and send it out into the world and adulterate a perfectly normal <laughs> product that sometimes that doesn't go well. Mm. Even when that substance was originally at one point we thought that it was a great thing. Fire retardant, very, yeah. very useful. I mean, cool. I, I think could go uh, well. I think the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras organisation you know, is, is obviously going to lose some money over the cancellation of, of one of their key events. They will have spent quite a bit of time and effort setting that up. They should just mm. get Julie Bishop in. She'll sort that out and get the event back up quick, smart. <laughs> I want to finish, 
Justin, by by reading a uh, a quote from Cory Doctorow the other day, who uh, uh, is famous for being a blogger originally. He's written a bunch of stuff since, a bunch of books. He and this is what he wrote the other day: "We're all living through the enshitter scene, a great enshittening in which the services that matter to us, that we rely on, are turning into giant piles of shit. It's frustrating. It's demoralising." It's even terrifying, and I think it's wonderful that he said that on the platform formerly known as Twitter. It's extremely appropriate, and <laughs> not not without irony. Yeah, I do. I do prefer the word "inshitacine" than uh, "inshitification." It's just there's something about the word that I don't know. It has the right mouthfeel or something. It well it appeals it, to me. It is, of course, echoing the the, the names we give to. Geological ages, and yeah. uh, I forget which one. Oh, it's we're just the shape of the word now. more than anything else. But yeah, I mean that's where it's that's that's its heritage and what it's borrowing from. But uh, I do I, I appreciate that that sound. And I mean, look, it's hard not to agree. What stands out for you as examples of the enshittening, the great entry well, into the enshittening? Look around. <laughs> look, at the, look at the world around us. Um, it is difficult to remain positive. Oh, there, look, there's lots of positive stuff. I, I do try to go and find that every year. Like eh, things are getting better in a bunch of different ways, but there's a whole bunch of stuff which is which is not. I mean, climate change being a big one. Climate change is a bit bigger in scope than what Mr. Doctor O is saying. Yes, in he's, that he's, thing. Talking he's talking a bit about more specifically services about and things. And we've given it we've, technologies and things. Yeah, we've given an example of that before. Where, well, internet search has become noticeably worse in many yep. people's view, certainly in my view, and I suspect in yours as well, in mm. the last 12 months to pick a period ever since they decided. Oh, yeah. yeah, even earlier than that for me, just for the, the purposes I use, I've had to cast around for different things. I mean, I, I remember when Google first started and I was I was like a bit of a power user of Alta Vista back then in advanced mode, which I Ooh. was secretly a little bit proud of. Um, it just it meant that I could find stuff that others couldn't more easily, and that I've always been quite good at seeking out and filtering information. That's just something I seem to do quite well, um, <clears throat> which has for a very long time been very very useful. But that's become much more difficult as some of the tools that I would normally use have yeah definitely degraded. Look, it's in my view, it's a combination of a lack of enforcement of existing um, antitrust or competition law. Um, combined with just the incentives that we have in modern society that rewards, actually, well, it rewards poor behaviour, but the bigger concern for me is that we don't actually punish or or censure poor behaviour. And that kind of this incentive structure we've set up, it's like, well, of course that happens. That's humans generally respond to incentives, systems resist change or well, stable systems resist change because that's what stable means so when you create that sort of incentive the ratchet goes that way which and means and it all becomes more ratchet well yeah it just ratchets <laughs> in in that direction in in accordance to where those incentives go and like that's that's how these that's how these systems work like a, a company exists to try to gain a monopoly over something that that's basically how the incentives of an individual corporation work. So you have to have a broader system of competition law, and you know, the, the market more generally needs to have mechanisms in place that resist that or counter that 
individual um, corporate incentive structure. But a lot of those systemic checks and balances and restrictions and, uh, and, and friction have all been removed, which means that, yeah, these individual corporations do what they do. Like, of course that's what's going to happen. Looking at the way AI is being put into everything now, even when it's not AI and even when it's something that clearly doesn't need AI, mm. um, <laughs> well, need, not even need, not even would benefit in some way from it, the money follows. And we saw that with Turk blockchain and now we're seeing it with AI. Well, I, w- I would say AI is more, even more so, like blockchain was basically just speculation and money laundering. Um but I'd, AI has a lot of the characteristics of previous inventions where it's it's not so much about the, the, like the money part. It's actually about power and control. Um, when like CNC machines, um, com, uh, what are they called? Computer, uh, computerized numerical control uh, of machine milling things. So lathes and, um, and milling machines and, and milling machines, milling machines yeah, and, yeah. and stuff machines like that. that make so, machines yeah stuff that is used by at you know in the time fitters and turners and machinists um to build physical things that used to all be apart from just we'll add power to it either from steam or electricity to spin the thing instead of having to press a treadle with your foot um they were under the control and direction of skilled artisans um you know workers who had skills and they were necessary within a factory in order to build stuff. And they had quite a bit of power over things because, like, the managers didn't know how to drive the machines. It required skill and expertise to do that. So they were able to d- make decisions and control the, work, the, the flow of work quite a bit. But when numerical control was originally proposed, there were a couple of ways it could have gone. One was this is a useful tool that is in the hands of the machinist who is able to then direct their own work with greater ease, uh, but they still retain all of the power over the work that they perform. Um, or it becomes that you, you become a mere button pusher or, or you're, you're kind of ancillary to the machine, which is centrally programmed um, and controlled from a centralised office of management. And that's how things ended up going. There was a period there where it was basically going to be, we'll record what the machinist does and then they'll be able to play it back, but only on that particular machine because there's differences between the different machines. So you can't actually get, you can't take stuff from one machine and easily replay it on others because they're subtly different. It's a little bit bit tricky, hence fitters and turners existing in the, in the first place. Um, but if you have something which is easily replicable across a whole bunch of stuff that can be designed and run by one programmer centrally, well, I've just centralised power and control in the hands of management, i.e. capital, that owns the factory, not the individual machinists that work in it. That's really handy, particularly if I don't want them to do things like be in a union. So that's what I see with this AI stuff. It's actually really useful um, to further concentrate power in the hands of a few, the new priesthood who can drive the, the machinery of the AI, the expense of everyone else, but more interestingly, geopolitically, because it, it has echoes of, uh, I would say, um, the Chilean uh, experience under Allende and the exploits of CyberSyn, um, which was a creation from the uh, cybernetics professor um, Stafford Beer and a bunch of friends. There's an excellent podcast 
called The Santiago Boys that goes through that whole period of time. It's really, really good, well-produced. And it's worth looking at the photos of that because there was this idea that there was this almost like the bridge of the Enterprise on Star Trek that the clever people in the country would sit in a little circle and run the economy like in real time. They would somehow, when we have that phrase, pull the levers of the economy, this was something that they would literally do. Well, not physical well, levers. kind of. It was, it was so that they had access to enough information to be able to make informed decisions about what was really going on, and that was sort of at the core of it. But it was, um, it was so that they... They had within the country, they were able to control this rather than it being controlled by exterior forces. Because at the time, um, like much of the world, um, Chile depended on uh, American businesses that brought the technology to that particular country. They were not terribly keen on on all of this being taken away by that that government. Um, but uh, some interesting details of that was when they would when Stafford Beer went in to do these studies on okay, well, what's actually going on and how do we do this. The workers in these factories were pretty against the idea because they'd been burned before. It's like, well, we, you know, how do you get them on board? They were given a lot of assurances that this would be, like, the information would be destroyed afterwards, that the findings would be under their control, it would be given to them. So it was designed specifically with their participation as equals and that they would receive the benefits of the findings of this research and, and whatever innovation happened. Then, of course, th- there were, you know, that deal was broken. Um, and no, that's not actually what happened to them um, with predictable results. And we, you know, we've seen that in other places. So that's, that's what I think of when I look at AI and I go, who are the, co-? so there are like three companies, four companies that are in control of this. And they exist, the, the resource requirements in order to run an AI system are enormous and are therefore available to only a very few organisations or indeed nations in the world, what happens if the management of all of society's systems is placed under the control of these few companies or the systems that these very few companies sell? What does that look like for a country such as Australia, which likes to consider itself, at least nominally, as a sovereign nation. What does that even mean when your government decides that, no, we're going to run everything entirely, we're just going to buy Microsoft AI and use that to run the economy? Hmm. Okay. I am reassured to a very great extent that one of the people with the resources uh, to, to set up this sort of thing is, is Elon Musk because I think uh, if there's anything he's taught us is that, a single man, and it must be a man, uh, with with billions of dollars. A great man. <laughs> Just I, I can't think of anyone greater, uh, more desirable, uh, and smarter. Um, and I and I think the important thing to realise is that uh, the other day he did say the first human received an implant from his Neuralink company and is recovering well. Um, uh, he, did, he provided no evidence at all. This was the entire thing, and, and news stories then went. People were writing thousands and thousands of words about what this what this means for society. Mm. Uh, again, it's something that a cynic might suggest that it hadn't actually happened. Well, when the king speaks, um, the courtiers must respond. Mm, mm. 
there's an Australian term, brown tonguing, um, which uh, comes to mind here. But the second half of his uh, message, formerly known as a tweet, said, initial results show promising neuron spike detection. Uh, now, as neuroscientists explain very briefly, that there are neuron spikes means that the subject is not actually brain dead. That so sounds like th- that plus. is pr- well, that it, promising, promising detection. Yes, they haven't actually killed this hypothetical person. Who? All I'm right, sure the patient would be thrilled. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they're doing better than half the monkeys. Oh, cruel but fair. I agree. I think this is excellent, and we should definitely place this man in charge of all of human society. What could go wrong? Well, I'm glad we've settled that. Excellent. Mm. Uh, that's the perfect note on which to end. Uh, positivity and a clear plan for the future. Once again, <laughs> I thank you, Justin Warren. Hail ants. <laughs> that's excellent. Hail millipedes. Hail yeah. millipedes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's all the edict for now. Uh, You should check out Justin Warren's uh, weekly newsletter, The Crux, which you can find at uh, his business website, pivot9.com. It's where he provides links to all the the various things that inform his views of the world. Please go to the 9pmedict.com slash autumn2024 and pledge your support. Um, The next episode will be in just a few days' time with Snarky Platypus. Until then, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.